0: Let's turn again the word of God to Joshua 24, the 24th chapter of, of Joshua. And I want to read to you the verse number 14. I just finished a, a series through the book of Joshua in the congregation in Malvern. And uh, the Lord has brought one particular matter to, to my mind to bring to you your attention today. Uh, it's verse number 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood. And in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Let's bow together in prayer. Um, We'll consider the chapter together, but particularly uh, the words in in that verse. Almighty God and our Father in heaven, again humbly we come before thy word. We need thy help, O God, to rightly understand the word. We need thy help, O Lord, to apply the word to our souls. We I pray for some, O Lord, who perhaps are still in sin's darkness. Open their eyes, O Lord, and that they would do that which is right in thy sight today. Turn from sin and run to Christ. And we pray for thy people. Challenge us. Stir us up, O Lord, in these things. Help us to take heed to the word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I had occasion to smile, oh, maybe the last week or so, talking to a gentleman in our church. And he was referring to an old friend, and he, he referred to his old friend with, a, with an interesting term. He said about his friend, he was a free willer. It's a term that I hadn't heard for a long, long time. Again, he was talking about his friend with affection and warmth, uh, not with a condescending spirit. But he was referring to his friend's distinctives regarding doctrine and theology about the way of salvation. And by describing his friend as a free willer, he was indicating that his friend held to a view that men are able in and of themselves to choose God. Again, there will be a variety of, of views within that spectrum, but there is in that essence the, the belief of man's free will. That man can choose God. Now some of you will say, well, are we not therefore all free willers? Do we not all believe that, that man can choose God? But the very fact there was such a term, free willer, indicates that there is there has been a significant level of controversy over the nature of the human will and the choice of God. To talk about choice in some reformed churches people begin to fidget and get very nervous. There is within our Reformed Confessions a very strong statement denying man's inherent free will and exalting God's sovereignty. We do believe that the Word of God does teach that man is utterly depraved and that they will not seek God, Romans chapter 3, and that no man will seek God naturally. We understand that the nature of sin is such that man's will is bent away from God and therefore they are not free in the sense that the free willers talk about. We believe that salvation is of the Lord. It is all of God, all of grace. Men are not free to choose God as they please. And yet, when you talk about choice in reformed circles, there is this response of nervousness. You see what's more perhaps from the time of Charles Finney on we have heard and read evangelists who are seeking to engineer a response. From the doctrine of man's free will there was a recognition well if we can engineer our meetings we can manufacture or manipulate our response. We can use Emotional appeals, altar calls, music ministry, and atmospheric meetings. From a false theology, there came a false practice—the practice of trying to manipulate hearers and to bring a response out of them. But then, historically, there has been a reaction against these things against the free will movement, uh, against the, the manufacturing of modern evangelism, there's been a reaction. A reaction whereby some would remove from preaching the necessity of pressing for a response from the hearer. Such is the fear of choice that men will say that preaching should nowhere press people to make a choice regarding their salvation. Yet time and time again in the Word of God, we are brought face to face with the fact that men are responsible to hear the Word and then to respond to it. Preaching, as we find it in the New Testament, is of course a form of teaching. Teaching conveys information. And preaching is undoubtedly to be a teaching exercise. It is to convey information to the hearers. But preaching is more than that. Preaching in the word of God, in the words that are used, and in examples we find, preaching, true preaching, always, always, always demands a response from the hearer. There must always be an authoritative declaration of truth. Followed by a passionate appeal for the hearer to respond aright. That is true preaching. When you hear the Word of God preached, you must respond to that Word. In fact, you always do respond. When you hear the Word of God preached, you you either reject its claims or you accept them. You see, if you would be saved, You personally must act. I can't make that any more clear and plain. If you are going to know forgiveness of your sins. If you are going to know peace with God. If you are going to be reconciled to God and saved from eternal wrath. You personally, individually must act. The Bible uses a number of verbs. Believing, receiving, repenting. Coming. These are all the actions of man. Man must believe, man must receive, man must repent, man must come. If you're going to know salvation today, you personally must obey the gospel. Repent of your sins. And run to Christ. No one can do it for you. No one not your husband, not your wife, not your parents, not your brothers, nor your sisters. No one can believe on your behalf. And so in the New Testament examples we, we find this we find this emphasis on, on preaching that demands a response from the hearer. And we see it also here in the preaching of Joshua. We don't often think of Joshua as a preacher, but a mighty preacher he was. Look what he says in verse number 2. And Joshua said unto all the people. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. What's that? That's the introduction to a sermon. I am going to tell you what God says. I'm not going to make up my own information. I'm going to present to you the word of God. He's a preacher. And as he preaches. He expounds the truth that God has given unto him. He explains, of course, the the history of the people of God. And then in verse number 14, he comes. And he demands upon the people the right response to the sermon. Thus saith the Lord God. Verse number 14. Now, therefore, in light of what I have just said, this is how you must respond. Fear the Lord and serve him. In sincerity and in truth. Joshua himself is a tremendous challenge to us in this regard. Look what he says in the verse number 15. As for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. He puts himself up as an example to follow. He shows himself as being one. Who has already personally responded to the word. He understands who God is. And in light of his knowledge of God. He himself has declared. I will serve the Lord. Don't miss the me. As for me. I personally. I'm going to serve the Lord. And what is more. My knowledge of God is such. That I am going to practice my religion, not just individually, but in the context of my home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the nature of true knowledge of God. When you come to know God, it impacts you personally. You cannot come to know God without being impacted by that fact. You cannot come to know the God of the heavens, and the God of the cross, and the God of resurrection without that changing your determination as to how you live, in light of who God is, I will serve the Lord. You you can't have that any other way. But such is the knowledge of God, that you will then bring that knowledge to bear upon those under your sphere of influence. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a very famous text. You could preach a sermon on the family from this text. I'm not going to do that today. I want to use it as an example of what as a church we must be like. I'm dealing with the subject of choice today. I'm dealing with the subject of how the word of God demands that we make a choice. A choice for God. But that choice and the demand for that choice must come from those who have personally Come to know God. As a church, if we are going to compel the world to choose God, we must make sure that the world sees that we ourselves know God and that we have put God into our lives in every sphere. How does the world respond? We go into the world and we tell them you must follow our God, you must love our God, you must serve our God. And could they not say sometimes to us. But do you love your God? And do you serve your God? And do you follow your God? And so I want to challenge you. As you consider this matter of choice. To make sure that we bring this world to a lost world. And we do so in a manner that is consistent. With our own actions regarding God. And so that's just a wee word in passing. So let's consider this matter of choice more fully. And note first of all the exhortation that they were to obey. The people are said to have made a choice here. Look at verse 22. Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. They've made a choice. But the choice that they make is put to us in a very deliberate and a particular fashion. The words of verse 14 do not present alternative choices. The words of verse 14 come, as I've termed it, as an exhortation to obey. It comes as a command. Now therefore fear, serve, put away. That's the essence of the command here. This is not a suggestion. It's a command that Joshua, with the authority of God, brings to the people. There is a choice that then follows. Verse 15 then goes on to say this. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And so often that text is preached in a fashion. That indicates you have the true God on one hand. And false gods on the other hand. But that is not what the text says. The text says this. Reject God, and once you determine determined to reject God, then take your pick of the false gods. Look what it says. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whither the gods which your fathers served, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. What's he saying? Here's your choice. You can have the old gods, those gods referred to in verse number 2, the gods that Abraham and his father worshipped, the gods that were on the other side of the flood, referring to the Euphrates River, the old gods, or do you know what? They can get newfangled gods now. You're now in the land of the Amorites. There's a lot of gods to choose from. You can take your old gods, or you can take your new gods. You see, choice in religion is not choice as we may think of it. We may choose things in life. Our brother Walter and I, after after we had our session meeting from Alvern yesterday morning, went for lunch. It was very kind of, he paid, it was very kind of him to take me for lunch, and I greatly enjoyed lunch. And at lunch we presented with a with a menu. You could have a fish. Or or, or beef or some other form of of, of food. And when you present that menu It's not going to make a big difference what you choose. I won't tell you what our brother chose in case his wife hears, but I I, I enjoyed the the haddock. Very, very tasty. Doesn't matter, really, whether I'd taken haddock or cod. It's really of no major difference. And so it may be you want to buy a a new car, or you want to pick a new tie or a new dress, whatever it might be. Uh, there, There may not be any moral difference. They may all be equally suitable and equally possible. Choice. Freedom of choice. And sadly, today many think of religion in those terms. There is a menu. A menu of religions from which you can choose. And you can decide to have this one or that one or none at all. You can take out a religion that involves going to church or one that stays at home. You can have a religion that involves a a God that is invisible. Or you can take a God that is visible. Your job, your career, your car. Whatever you want to choose. You've all this multiplicity of gods. You can have anything you want to be first in your life. Whatever you choose. It's up to you. More narrowly, there are those who say, well, you must choose at least to believe in God. But once you believe in a supreme being, you can follow whatever course you want to that supreme being essentially we all believe in the same God and we're all going the same way all of those things are foreign to the Bible and they must be foreign in the Christian church it is our duty not to place ourselves as one option in a menu of religion but rather to state ourselves as being the one true faith of God Christ himself said I am the way The truth and the life. There is no other name given among men. Whereby you must be saved. There is only one way to God. His name is Jesus. And thus when it comes to the matter of true religion. We are not coming to the world. Presenting them with a number of options. We are presenting them with one simple fact. There is one God and one mediator between God and men. And the only way to God is through that mediator. Therefore Fear the Lord and serve him. We don't present our faith as a matter of choice in that regard. We present our faith as a command that must be obeyed. There's an interesting text elsewhere in the word of God. It's the end of Moses' sermon in in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says this, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choices. Choices. Life, death, blessing, cursing. But then he says this, therefore, choose life. He doesn't say to them, you know, both are equal. He says, no, therefore, choose life. That both I and thy seed may live. There is only one right decision for you all this morning. And that decision is explained to us in the words of verse number 14. Note the matter at hand. In this exhortation to obey, there is a matter at hand. And it is to fear the Lord and serve him. Fear is the attitude and serving is the action. Fearing God is not living in terror of God, but of course, is reverencing God. Seeing God as the one whose smile we desire and whose frown we fear. We want to live in his favour. We want to know his grace. And that attitude then governs our actions. We come to serve the Lord. This word to serve again has some interesting usage. It's used in Genesis 15 regarding the people of God and how they will serve the Egyptians. God's speaking to Abraham. He's telling Abraham your people are going to serve. And they're going to serve the Egyptians. And they're going to serve them for 40 years. The word speaks of working and laboring. That's how the word is, is used. But it is clearly a word that speaks of worship. Look at Psalm 100 please. We sang Psalm 100 this morning. In the Psalm 100. And then what it says there. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. So this command to serve is Is a command to adore and worship God in joyful praise. You've got it also in the Psalm 97, back there, the Psalm 97, and the verse number 7. Confounded be all they that serve, graven images that boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all ye gods. And there we're seeing it in the negative sense. They're serving idols, but their serving is in the sense of of worshiping, exalting, speaking well of them. And then let me read to you the words of of Zephaniah chapter uh, chapter 3, Zephaniah 3, verse 9. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him. Their serving is said to call upon the Lord's name. Then one of the references, Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3 verse 14 says, Ye have said it is vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, and that we have mournfully before the Lord of hosts? What's that saying? Well, serving God is keeping his word. All I want you to see at this time is that when Joshua brings the command to the people, And tells them to fear the Lord and serve Him. He is commanding them to live the life of a true believer. One who has come to believe in God. And from that belief in God that will then work out in their actions. That they will work for the Lord. That they will worship the Lord. That they will seek the Lord's good. They will obey the Lord in their lives. All of these things are encompassed in this term serve. It's a big, big term. And it includes all that is contained in the word of God. Hence, when Paul deals with it in Romans chapter 12 and talks about the mercies of God, he refers to our act of devotion, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, as being what? A reasonable service. And thus we serve God in every area of our lives. Oh yes, it is is true we do so in public worship. We sing, we praise his name. That is to serve the Lord. But it doesn't end there. Joshua is saying, In everything in your life, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the matter at hand. The manner is also given to us in Joshua chapter 24. Look what he says. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity... And in truth, he's commanding them to be real. He's commanding them to avoid hypocrisy. It is not right to serve God if your heart is not in it. The Pharisees and the hypocrites. They engage in the service of God, but not in sincerity and in truth. Don't pretend today. That's what Joshua was saying. Don't make a pretense that all looks well. You're in church, you're in the right place on the right day. You've got the right Bible in your hand, all looks well, but truth be told, it's insincere and it's hypocritical. Oh, yes, we are to serve God. In every area of our lives we are to worship and adore him. He must come first in our lives. But we must seek to do so with faithfulness in a genuine fashion. The method is also given to us here in verse number 14. And put away. Can you see that? Put away the gods. The false gods. Be done with those things. And verse number 23. Now therefore put away the strange gods and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And he's saying here we must serve God with our all. It must not be with hypocrisy and it must not be half-hearted. It's going to be with repentance. It's going to ensure that we don't serve God In a manner that we can take it or leave it. It is our all. We will not have idols in our lives. And we will make sure that our hearts are devoted to God. Nobody says, incline, verse 23, incline your heart. He said, preacher, I, I can't do that. Only God can change my heart. Well, here's a reference in the word of God that tells you that you must incline your heart. You see, the same word tells me that you must love God. You must love Him above everything else. And whenever you allow other things in your lives to take the first place of a, full, a devotion and affection, then you're allowing idolatry into your life. Here God says through Joshua, incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. God first. So this exhortation to obey, that's the choice before us. And that's the choice that people make, verse 22. Ye have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. The exhortation to obey. Secondly, very quickly, the evidence to consider. You know how verse 14 begins. Now, therefore. Now, when you read through verses 2 through to 13, there is one word that continually presents itself time and time again. I wonder if the children see the word. You know, you've got the Bible there. You've got the word of God before you there. you verse 2 through 13 of Joshua 24. And there's one word that keeps recurring. Time and time and time. I haven't counted them. Perhaps you can do that for me. Time and time and time again. Somebody said it there. It is the word I. I. And what Joshua is doing is very simple. He is presenting to the people the evidence. Out of which will come their choice. He brings a conclusion. Now therefore. But what is the evidence that underlies that conclusion? The evidence is the sovereignty and the supremacy of God. He is telling the people. Look what God did. God reached into paganer and he picked out Abram in Greece a pagan idolater who did not choose or seek after God but God picked him God chose him and God set him apart this is the sovereign God the God who reigns over the individual hearts of men the God who reigns not only over men's individual hearts but also over the nation's and the God who is sovereign is also the God who is supreme. He is the one true and living God. And all of these nations they came. And one by one they fell before the Lord God. You read through Joshua. And you see very quickly that it's not so much Joshua's work as it is God's work. All the battles, all the, all the victories. And they're all ascribed to the sovereign supreme hand of God. Now, Joshua chapter 24, verse 2 through 13 should be enough. It should be enough for you to read those verses and say, yes, Jehovah, the Lord, he is the true God. When you're confronted with his gracious, sovereign supremacy, you should see that and say, well, yes, I must follow this God. I must serve this God. But we have more. We have more than the people ever saw. We hear the words of verse number 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him. We hear those words following the empty tomb. He is not here, he is risen. We see. In the empty tomb an abundance of evidence for the sovereignty and the supremacy of God. We see in the empty tomb the foundation for our faith and confidence. If he is not risen, our faith is vain, said the Apostle Paul. Our preaching is vain and empty, but he is alive. He is risen from the dead. And therefore we have a sure and a certain confidence. That God alone is God. Who is the God that brings Christ from the dead? He is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The God who through the Old Testament. Continued to point his people to a coming Messiah. To one who will come. And be wounded for our transgressions. And bruised for our iniquities. We see the promises of this coming Messiah. And that same God is the one who then brings Christ into the world through the womb of the Virgin Mary. And the Spirit of God came upon her. And that which is born of her is the Son of God. What God? The only God. The one true and living God. The God of Jericho. The God of the Red Sea. The same God brings his Son into this world. And that God then comes in Calvary. And upon his own Son, darkness descends as the very same God, if you like, forsakes his own Son. Because he is made sin for us. And my God, my God, what God did Christ refer to? The one true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. There is no other God. And to that God Christ says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was made sin for us. and The wrath of God was poured upon his own son. He was made the propitiation for our sins. And as the wrath of God is poured out upon our son, or his son. So the son could say it is finished. What is finished? The work of God is finished. The mission whereby Christ came into the world is finished. The work of redemption is accomplished. Christ came into the world sent of God. What God? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The God of Jericho again. It's the same one true living God. And then as we see our son rise triumphant from the grave. We see in his resurrection the truth that God is pleased with his sacrifice. God is pleased with the offering of His Son, whereby all who come unto God by Him can know forgiveness of sins and peace with God. What God? The one true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of Jericho. It's the same God, isn't it? And we look back with this evidence and we see all of the evidence and we see what God does in people's lives. You see what God did in Abraham's life. He picked him from paganism and made him a worshipper of God. You see what God did in the life of the apostle Paul. Saul Tarsus. He made he who breathed out threatenings. He makes him a mighty preacher. You see perhaps what God has done in your father's life. One who had no time for God now comes to love the Lord. Your mother's life. One who now prays for you, seeks God's face for you. What am I telling you? Very simply, you can pretend all you like, but you cannot deny the evidence for the one true and living God. It is plain, it is clear to see. The problem is not with the evidence. It is with your unwillingness to fear him and to serve him. Which is the last thing. Having thought about the exhortation to obey and the evidence to consider very quickly, look the look at the costs that they were to count. Verse 19 is, is a very, very challenging verse. And Joshua said unto the people. Ye cannot serve the Lord. He is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. He just told them. To serve the Lord. And I tell tells them. You can't do it. What's going on here? Well Joshua is presenting to them a very stark warning. He's telling them. Do not enter into this lightly. He's warning them. Yes, in Old Testament terms. That if you choose God. And then turn away from God. He will consume you. Please be very clear. This is the language of Old Testament covenant. Deuteronomy is clear. Obey God, you get blessed. Disobey God, you're cursed. This is not teaching the doctrine of salvation at this point. He is not teaching that you can be saved one minute and lost the next. That is not what is being taught here. He is talking in terms of Old Testament covenant. In the new covenant, things are different. Oh yes, it continues along, but there are distinct differences. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Jeremiah 31. And to those whom God gives that promise, he says this. They shall all know me. Old Testament, there were those in the covenant who were not converted. New Testament, there are none in the covenant who are not converted. And so we must see a difference here. But however, there is still an application. And whilst I accept the context is different, there is a very strong word of application. And that is this. Do not choose Christ without first counting the cost. Do not choose Christ and do it lightly or glibly. We may sing easily, I surrender all. I have decided to follow Jesus. But we must not take these things lightly. Why? Because Christ tells us not to take these things lightly. And one of the troubles that the modern free willers have brought into the church is the idea that you can pick God whenever you like. But the Bible says, oh yes, fear him and serve him. But do so being clear of the cost. And that's why I read Luke chapter 14. Turn there, please. We close. Luke chapter fourteen. Does it not present a parable with a choice? Is it not a sermon with a demanding response? Go into the highways and the hedges and compel them, command them, demand them, make response. And then after that particular parable, the Lord comes and says this. If any man come to me, and he not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he tells a story about the building and the army, and about the importance of counting the cost. Applying that then in verse number 33. So likewise, whosoever he be, if you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. I believe very firmly that we cannot be dishonest. God is truth and we must bring truth. I do not believe that I can stand before you today or any day and tell you become a Christian and all will be easy. You may find yourself following Christ and at variance with your family. Christ is not, of course, teaching you that you should hate your parents or hate your family. He is saying that if you have a choice to make between your family and Christ, you must choose Christ and forsake your family. Because he's teaching here that you must forsake all and follow me. There cannot be two gods in your life. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve your farm and mamma and God. Those are things that he gives examples. A wife, a farm, animals. Those things are all in the story of the parable. You can't do these things. You must have one God. The only God. The one true living God. And thus, I'm telling you, before you say, I have decided to follow Jesus, make sure you've counted the cost. That you realize your life will not be the same. Some of you are perhaps sitting here right now saying, Preacher, be very careful. You might persuade people not to follow Christ. If you tell them all these things, they, they may choose... The old gods on the other side of the flood, or they may choose the new gods of the Amorites. Do you think that concerned Joshua? You see, the Bible's very plain. You must serve God, but you cannot serve God. You must choose God, but you cannot choose God. You must follow God, but you cannot follow God. So, what is the solution? God so loved the world that he sent, he gave, his only begotten son, that who so believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The solution to the predicament, you must serve God but you cannot serve God, is in the coming of Christ Jesus. And in his coming, he secures the promise of the Spirit whereby you who will not choose God can choose God, and you who will not follow God can follow God, and you who will not serve God can serve God, not because you are able, but because God is able. And he, by his Spirit, is not only able to save you, but to keep you. There is a gospel There is only one God. There is only one life to live. And there is only one judgment. So if you count the cost today. And say I will not follow Christ. If you respond in that fashion today. May God have mercy upon your soul. You have a choice to make again today. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You leave here without Christ. Go ahead. Take your pick of God. There's more than enough to choose from. But realize that if you go and choose other gods, you have rejected the one true and living God. Let's bow together in prayer. And let's seek the Lord's face. God is so gracious in sending his son We are told to come unto him All ye that weary and heavy laden And he will give us rest The command to follow God Comes with the comfort That following Christ is the best way It is the way of peace And joy and comfort May God help us all To to make these right choices Eternal God take your word Use it in our lives We do pray O God, may there be none who would turn their back on your grace, on your love, on your mercy. O God, may there be none who'd forsake thee and follow false gods. Help us all to serve without hypocrisy and with our whole hearts. Help us all, dear Father, to tear away those idols that would occupy our hearts. O God, bless thy word. And apply it to all you hear. Take us home in safety. And may your blessing indeed rest and abide upon us in Christ's name. Amen.